1: Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to another episode of Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mental health and life. In this episode, I interview nationally recognized grief expert and licensed therapist Claire Bidwell-Smith on how to deal with grief and loss. We discuss how loss can include loss of a job, financial security, freedom, stability, routine, especially during the current pandemic, and how to deal with these types of losses. We also talk about Claire's new book, Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief, where she explains why anxiety should be added to the five phases of grief. And she shares some great tools on how to prevent anxiety from hijacking our lives after a loss. And she shares some great tips on how to help kids deal with loss and grief. Just before we begin, if you enjoy my podcast and want to know how you can help me continue making them possible, please consider subscribing wherever you listen and leaving a five star review. And please continue sharing this podcast with friends and family. Also, be sure to follow me on social media for daily mental health tips and strategies. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Lastly, If you would like to sign up to receive free weekly text messages from me with more tips to help you with your mental health, see the show notes for details. You will also get insider access to special events, sales, and so much more. Plus, when you sign up, you will get 15% off your online order. For more details, just check out the show notes. Now on to today's episode. Claire Bidwell-Smith, what a lovely honor to have you in the studio with me today talking about such an important topic, grief. You are one of the foremost experts when it comes to dealing with grief and understanding grief. So I'm really pleased to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's an interesting time, but before we dive into grief and and just grief related to what's happening in the current pandemic, I'd love you to tell my viewers who you are, a little bit about you. I mean, they've heard your bio, but it's always nice to hear from the person. And tell me something about you that's not on your
0: bio and what motivates you. My name is Claire Bidwell-Smith. I have been a therapist specializing in grief for over 10 years. I've written three books about grief and loss. I came to this work from a very personal place. Both of my parents got cancer at the same time when I was 14. I was an only child. My mom died when I was 18 as a freshman in college. And then my father died seven years later when I was 25. And you know, it was a time when all of my peers were just finishing college and going off into the world and starting new relationships and living on their own for the first time. And I was just in a very different place and had a very different understanding of mortality and psychology and just different things. I went through some hard spaces with it. But when I came out of it, I felt very motivated to help others through it and ended up getting my master's in clinical psychology. I worked in hospice for a number of years initially, and then in private practice. And I was always a writer. So since I was a little kid, and it was my way of really moving through all the grief that I went through myself. And then once I began to work in this space, writing about it to help others. Wonderful.
1: Well, that's a a great story. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. To being able to leverage and use that now to help others is wonderful. I mean, aren't we We're so much more authentic when we go from our own personal experience, aren't we? It's, it's. You can really, even though we can never fully understand someone else's experience, at least you can relate so much more. You're not speaking from another point of view. You're speaking from that sense that you've gone through it, which is amazing. Well, you're a nationally recognized grief expert. And right now, so many people are grieving, especially, I mean, I think what's really heartbreaking, you know, loss of a loved one, a job, the financial security, and just all the normalcy, everything. So how do we begin to even begin to address this problem?
0: It's amazing. I've never seen anything like this in in my lifetime. And I've been talking about grief and I've known it intimately for 20 years, you know. So to see the whole world going through grief and anxiety is really remarkable. Collectively, isn't it? It's, It's a kind of collective thing and it's different grief, isn't it? It's a different... It is. I mean, there's a lot of layers of grief. I think that we are, you know, obviously a lot of us are actually losing people that we love. And so there's that grief, but I think also a lot of us are grieving the life we were living two months ago, the life we thought we would be having this summer or the rest of this year. We're grieving our children being home from school. Some of us are grieving the loss of our jobs or companies or businesses we'd started. There's a lot of grief that's happening right now. And, and I think some people are hesitant to name that as grief, but grief comes in so many different ways aside from the obvious kinds throughout our lifetimes we grieve we grieve childhoods we grieve divorces we grieve pets we grieve moves and job changes And this is similar, except our whole world is going through it all at once, which is so different. Usually when someone is grieving, they feel very alone. You know, they feel like the whole world is carrying on and doing the normal things and they walk outside and everyone's skipping around and posting lovely things on social media and their world is crumbling. Whereas right now we can kind of all relate to the grief that we're experiencing, which is different.
1: Mm, that's so interesting. You know, I was ent- I interviewed a lot of people, and I interviewed an epidemiologist who was saying that, and I quote this all the time because it just really got me that for the first time in history, all of humanity globally is facing the same enemy, the same mm-hmm. common enemy. You know, so it's all we're all facing the same together, and so we're experiencing these stages of grief. We're all going through, as you say, the different types of grief together. I'm glad you, you defined that, started defining
0: that difference that we grieve all those different things, and so grief is very much part of our life. It is. All the time, I, the, there's no escaping it. You know, we will all grieve at some point. I think, I think it's hard to get through our lifetimes without losing a person that we love. But then again, there's all these other forms of grief that we really do go through.
1: Mm, and I don't think people talk about them. So I'm really glad you've raised that. I don't, don't think people think, you know, that how, how, the impact of losing a pet, as you mentioned, and the mm-hmm. impact of changing a job or moving cities or losing a friend or, you know, these are all mm-hmm. different types of grief. So how would you summarize or define grief in a, in a broad way?
0: It's the feelings that come with loss. So whether that loss is a parent or it's a friend or it's a pet or a divorce, the loss of a marriage, and it's all the feelings that come with it, which are, you know, many, many different kinds of feelings. There's anger, there's denial, there is frustration, there's guilt, there's depression and sadness, obviously there's anxiety, and we don't move through them in a linear fashion. You know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was the physician who coined the five stages of grief initially began thinking about those five stages in terms of people who had terminal diagnoses, so people who were dying. These were the five stages of dying. They were later kind of transferred onto the stages of grief and kind of got swept away by our culture at large because because wouldn't it be nice if there were kind of a linear Formula that we could go through.
1: Well, I think that's yeah. We all want that little linear formula for life, don't we?
0: But it doesn't quite mm-hmm. work like that, does it? It doesn't. But then people get a little confused when they're grieving, partly because it's such a huge experience that we haven't. When you haven't gone through it before, the first time you really find yourself in the throes of grief can be very overwhelming. Just the amount of emotions, the kind of unexpected roller coaster of them one day you may be feeling fine the next minute you're on your knees on the bathroom floor sobbing you know it's it's very up and down and it's hard to it's hard to kind of find your bearings within it so people really gravitate towards the idea of there being stages or a formula or a certain kind of progression that you need to go through and my work that i've always done is really helping people kind of understand just how fluid the the stages are, how fluid the process is. You know, even acceptance comes in waves, comes in stages, comes in different times. You may find your way to a place of acceptance, and then something else might happen in your life that puts you back in your grief. And you go through all of it again. And sometimes you
1: it's not necessarily that you go through one and then the next and then the next. You could go, you know, the first, the first one, right. whatever. It's it's jumping around all the time. That's very good. I'm very glad you stressed that because it always concerned me that you know the five stages of grief that we're so stuck in that. Because I don't, mm-hmm. you know, having gone through a loss of a parent myself and various different things, you it is definitely fluid, like you said. I really mm-hmm. like that explanation. Kind of freeing. And yeah. the other thing you've said that's very freeing and I think brilliant is the fact that this is normal and it's these different, almost different levels of it. You know, you're going mm-hmm. to have the big stuff, but there's also the little things. So then, for example, how about our? This, you've got three kids. You said they're upstairs at the moment. Mm-hmm. So now they are they quite young? They are 18 months Seven and nine. Wow. So. Okay, so mine, I've got four. They twenty through twenty-nine, so they're on the other side. But now you're look. You've got to. There is, for them, maybe missing a birthday party or not being able to play with their friends would be a level of grief as well, wouldn't it? It
0: absolutely is, and they really feel it. You know, they are mourning all of these things that they're having to let go of. They both both of my girls have birthdays coming up and they're devastated not to be able to have birthday parties and do the usual things they want to do. And so I find myself doing the same kinds of things with them that I do with my clients, you know? And what is that? What do you do? How do you,
1: because that's the question we get so much. How do we help our little ones, our teenagers, and then also graduates? I mean, I've got my youngest just graduated from UCLA and the day that she graduated was literally the day of lockdown and her (laughs) birthday. I mean, all at the same time.
0: (laughs) You know, like, yeah, that
1: was, that was really hard you know, and just to like a future and career and that kind of thing. It's all just, so that's a, a form
0: of grief too. So how could you maybe walk us through like from the younger? I think, you know, for kids, the big thing is just not being dismissive of it. You know, really, really stopping and listening and saying, wow, that must be hard. Really letting them have space. I think As parents, especially, we have this tendency to try to tidy up any pain that our children might be experiencing, any discomfort. But really, we need to let them sit in it for a minute. Let them feel it. Let them grieve. Let them cry. We can try to find alternatives and ways to kind of make meaning and honor those things that they're missing. But really, the biggest thing we need to do is just let them have that space and that minute to grieve for it. Mm, okay, so if they didn't have that space, that is for all age groups. It is for all age groups. I think one of the things I always tell parents, too, for, for little kids when they have big questions about death or getting sick or things like that, to You know, really not try to end those conversations, rather open them up, let them have all the questions they have, even if you don't know the answer, even if you have to say, I don't know. I usually turn my therapist brain on when I'm, when I'm talking to my, my little ones and they'll ask me big questions about life and death. And sometimes I'll say, I don't know. What do you think? You know, nobody knows, you know, we get to kind of make up our own answers or think about it in the biggest ways you want to. So doing that for them gives them that freedom to at least feel it, to think about it, to explore it. Mm, I love that.
1: You know, my youngest, this one who's just, as I said, who graduated, we were just chatting the other day. We were sitting, I've got my, we love to go and we've got an infrared sauna. We love to go chill out and hang out there after a workout. And we were chatting and she was just talking about these things. And I was listening and then I found myself at one stage wanting to give her the solutions, which is just such a natural mom thing. And being a therapist Mm -hmm. for years, you you get so used to the mindset, I've got to fix everything Mm -hmm. and have answers. And she said, mom, you know, you just, have, you don't have to fix this and I thought that was so insightful you know yeah. that you you don't have to fix it and, and and my kids have all said that to me at stages you you know we we, we need to listen to our kids too they'll tell us what they need don't they they
0: just want to be listened to yeah but you know again it's hard it's hard to see people we love in discomfort and and in pain and I think it translates to adulthood as well when we see somebody who's grieving or in pain of some sort of psychological pain we want to fix it you know our natural impulse is to be like well what can I do that is good, though, to want to help. So, when do we step in?
1: And once we've allowed a person to experience and express their grief and verbalize it or express it in various forms, obviously, the younger the child, that it's going to come out in different ways. When do we step in and help each other?
0: I think we help each other in the form of support, and I think we start right away. You know, by just letting them know that we're here, letting them know that we are someone they can talk to about no matter what their feelings are, that we're willing to listen, we're willing to hold space for it. When we try too hard to help somebody move on quickly, it gives them the message that they shouldn't be feeling the way they're feeling. That they should be doing better. So that's that's the trick that we need to be careful about, and the thing that we need to think about when we're when we're helping anyone who's grieving. It's just letting them know that wherever they are in their space and their process is okay.
1: I love that. I think that's really important. So validating the experience and just and if they ask you for the advice, I suppose then you could step in. But to validate and hear the experience is really important. I love that. Yeah. Okay. What about what advice would you give to someone who's lost a loved one? Obviously within this pandemic situation. But but obviously people are losing loved ones all the time. What advice would you give to someone?
0: Again, just that kind of showing up for them and just really helping them talk through it, have a place that they can talk about it with. Sometimes, again, people get so uncomfortable that they don't, they, they aren't able to sit and listen. So just listening can be so vital. But right now it's such an interesting time because people are grieving in isolation. We are not able to have our usual customs, funerals, memorials, sitting shiva, all of these things we're we're not able to do. So some advice that I've been giving that I think is really important is that we have to do some some amount of those things on our own. We have to be able to memorialize, to ritualize, to do things that make us feel like we're honoring our deceased, you know? So so even talking to them, about ideas like that, they can be simple things, putting up a photo and lighting a candle every night or baking a favorite meal that, that your loved one you know, appreciated or, or used to make themselves. Doing little things that make us feel like we're honoring our people when we can't in our usual customs.
1: I love that. So you don't have the big gathering, but at the big gathering, you would have been talking about all those memories and, as you say, making the food. So to do that kind of thing, have like little rituals. And whenever you feel the need, maybe daily or whenever, whatever works for the person. I like that. So to actually really deliberately and intentionally set aside a little time to do something that brings back the good memory of the person. I like that. I think that's really great. You talk about three steps for advising people during this dealing with grief over COVID and what are the is what are those three steps
0: I think again really stepping in to let them know that you're there and listening and then helping them think about ways to honor and memorialize their people and then helping them share their story perhaps you know right so it's sitting
1: supporting them thinking of ways to like little rituals to celebrate and then
0: sharing the story Mm -hmm. And whether that's, you know, helping them write about the story of their person or the story of the loss, we're inherent storytellers as human beings. You know, we tell stories about the first car we got, the first pet we had, you know, all those kinds of things. We tell stories about the people we love and the relationships we had, sharing those stories on social media, sharing good memories or writing an email out to family and friends about your person. Those are really nice ways to share that story. And I think it feels really healing when we do that.
1: Mm, I love that because writing does so much in the brain we do in my clinical trials that we do we see such amazing stuff on the non-conscious level which is the biggest part of you when you actually start doing things like writing that's one of the techniques it just really starts clearing energy in the brain and literally sure. the different frequencies of the brain start stabilizing and you get a lot of learning taking place which is interesting so it's neuroplasticity there's new learning new networks so it's new coping is actually being wired into the brain as you mm-hmm. using your mind which is so interesting so Absolutely. what about someone uh, the advice would you give someone who's lost a job who's got and lost that financial security which is honestly millions and millions globally at the moment. I know there's no easy answer to this, but what is the sort of mental way of dealing with the grief around this?
0: I think there's a lot of grief, but I think there's also a lot of anxiety that comes with that. And so I think one of the things to focus on there is really only letting yourself go into the anxious thoughts about it, maybe a certain portion of the day. Otherwise, you're going to spend your whole day kind of in this space, spinning around, thinking about Just all the anxiety of it, it's massive. The ripple effect, financial loss at this time is on a personal level, it's huge. On a global level, it's huge. And I think that it does a disservice to ourselves when we really let ourselves ruminate in that space all day long. I am advising people right now to be careful with their phones and their news intake because that contributes to it as well. I have a personal practice of I don't let myself look at my phone for at least 45 minutes after I wake up. You know, I, I prior I would grab it on the side of my bed. I would be reading through it, scrolling through news and texts before I was out of bed. And the amount of information that you can take in during that time, just on a five-minute you know, swiping around on your phone, and what, what that can do to your, your anxiety levels is, is really troubling. So really getting getting up in the morning, grounding yourself, drinking your tea or coffee or whatever you do, and just kind of getting into a space within your day that has not been affected yet by all of that information. Then once you're kind of grounded, you can take in the information.
1: Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's something that I've been telling people to do as well. And just also, all of, all of us, are everyone's giving the same great advice, which is which is consistent. And I hope that people use it, take that advice. And and I love that what you said, 45 minutes. I mean, that's good. I mm-hmm. want to see people stay off their phone for the first 45 minutes. They seriously, that doesn't happen. I know I've been guilty myself. Reach out for mm-hmm. the phone as soon as you wake up. So I think that's a wonderful suggestion that you have. And then limiting it during the course of the day as well. Right. You're not reading it every five seconds. It's amazing how much time
0: can be spent on that. Well, I think what happens is that people feel like if they're not looking at it, then something's going to happen and they won't be prepared. And so there's this constant checking that we do where we feel like we're preparing ourselves. We know what's going on when really we're not actually preparing. We're just increasing our anxiety. If you really are afraid that you're going to miss something, appoint someone in your life to let you know if there's something vital you need to know, right? So if you're an anxious person and reading all of that stuff is keeping you in an anxious place. Don't look at it, appoint, you know, like a more grounded, pragmatic person in your life to let you know if there's something you should know.
1: No, that's really good. That's very important. Lately, I have been finding it hard to motivate myself to work out and be more active, especially as I work on finishing my new book on a tight deadline. But I recently discovered a hack that actually makes me excited to work out and go for long walks. So what is it? Well, I love listening to audiobooks on Blinkist. Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want and all for one low price right now. For a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Try it free for seven days and save 25% of your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash DrLeaf. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. And you talk about the stages of grief, but having there's a stage missing, you've added in the fifth stage, anxiety. Can you talk about why you've done that and how and how it works and how you see this? And you've alluded to it in yeah. the beginning that it's not a linear process. It's a fluid process. Mm-hmm.
0: I think anxiety is really inextricably linked to grief. I think that once we go through a loss or a huge change in our lives or something unexpected or traumatic happens, we are really reminded that There's a lot of uncertainty in life, you know, that, that nothing is kind of safe all the time. And I think we all kind of experienced that going through this pandemic in the beginning. We really thought we kind of knew what our world was about and how things were going. And we kind of got the floor pulled out from underneath us. And it's very jarring. And now we're all sitting in this place of uncertainty. We don't know how long it's going to go on for. We don't know how, you know, what the effect of the entire thing is going to be. And we kind of have to wake up every day and sit in that uncertainty. Grief is like that too. You lose somebody that you love and you're reminded that we don't know how how long we're here for, or we don't get to make all the calls on it. And so having to sit with that causes anxiety to come with it. We also become anxious when we are not letting ourselves grieve. So going back to this kind of initial stuff that we were talking about is, you know, often when we try to push away grief or we don't allow space for it, it manifests in other ways. It manifests in anxiety and anger and guilt and frustration, and relationship problems. When we can really let ourselves call something grief, name it as grief, really honor it, sit with it, allow all the feelings to come out, then we can decrease our anxiety a lot.
1: So I'm so glad you're saying all of this. You know, it's such a message that we need to hammer home, and and I and I the fact I interview so many people, and and this is coming out a lot. This. I'm so glad, finally. You know, I've watched this trajectory over the 38 mm-hmm. years I've been in the field, and I've watched us go from being very open about expressing to know just it's all just illness, and it's just reductionist down to the functioning of the brain. And even though I'm in, I'm a neuroscientist. I don't look at mm-hmm. just the brain; I look at the mind-brain connection and the, the separation, but the inseparability. And I love the fact that everyone now is talking about let's. Sit with it. Let's express it. Let's give ourselves permission to experience the grief and the depression and the anxiety. It's not an illness. It's it's a reaction to the, to the events of life. But there there was a stage, and there still are. Is is a large body of of the more biomedical approach that. That's talking about illness all the time, talking about these feelings as illness. Someone who's lost someone is not ill. I'll give you a case in point, which I know as a therapist, you'd find horrific. It was, I was teaching in the, on one of the islands. I do a lot of conferencing around mind brain stuff. And someone, it was it was just after one of the hurricanes, St. Thomas. And this woman witnessed her husband's head being severed as their house was crashing around and, all, and she's got two young kids. I mean, can you imagine the trauma and the grief and the, and obviously afterwards there was tremendous, all that you can imagine, just everything that you sure. go through she went to the doctor because she was getting cardiovascular issues, which is very, very normal in association. And the first thing he wanted to do was say you have a clinically, he wanted to say you have clinically diagnose depression and let put you on an antidepressant, which first of all, that, that antidepressant would have actually done damage to her heart, which was already damaged from the grief. And there was no acknowledgement of, hey, you feel like this because of what you've just gone through. You know, so thank goodness she just like ignored that. And then her church group was very supportive and whatever. So she and she, but anyway, that just shows you how we can mislabel. Just someone shows a symptom and there's immediately if there's a symptom, boom, label, boom, medicate. And that's not what you're saying. You're saying
0: express it. I'm saying the opposite. Stop and see what's going on inside. A lot of those physical symptoms, the cardiac symptoms, the nausea, the panic attacks, the dizziness, lightheadedness, tingling, all of those things that can come with anxiety, they're so overlooked. You know, We'll go into the doctor and we'll talk about Mm -hmm. it and they don't ask, well, what's happening in your life? They just want to try to start treating those symptoms. Mm -hmm. And that's when we really fall into trouble. If they were to ask a few questions, and they are getting better at this. I've had a lot of clients come to see me after a panic attack where they end up in the because they think they're having a heart attack and the doctors will say what's happening in your life and they'll say oh well my dad just died and they'll be like this might be related to that mm, it's definitely improving mm-hmm. it is which i'm really heartened to see but all of those symptoms are just you know indicative of what's happening internally oh absolutely and you know
1: we see that with the, the research i do we look at the mind the physiology the neurophysiology and we look mm-hmm. at the narrative and we look at the and using all evidence-based medicine or random controlled trials, you know the standard mm-hmm. that double blind, but we look at single subject design as well within mm-hmm. that. So you've got to look at everyone as an individual case study. You can't look at the numbers. There's such an inextricable link between that the minute that you're feeling your heart is involved, you cannot separate the psychoneuroimmunology. And, you know, and it is, it is, I train physicians in this and it's, it is, it's it's a new, to get, it's, you can't just separate the body. You can't isolate people. And that's why it's so good that people like yourself and what we're doing is to try and help people to reintegrate. It doesn't mean right. that we can't, we have to deal with the physical because your physical will suffer. So you can't ignore that. You have to treat the symptoms of that too. But you've got to exactly. treat the root cause and not treat in terms of medicine. Treat in terms of what you're saying. Listen, right. support, talk, express, sit with it, go mm-hmm. through it. Yeah, so good. I'm so glad you're saying these things. We we need to get this message out all over and give people permission to experience, you know, which is so good. Okay, I've got a lot of questions. You Let's, let's talk about your new book. Let's talk about, you've got your book, this book called Anxiety, great book, The Missing Stage of Grief, A Revolutionary Approach to Understanding and Healing the Impact of Loss. Obviously, your work's motivated you to write this. So talk a bit about this book and what's in there and what can people learn from you from this book.
0: It's just about that link between anxiety and grief that we were just talking about. You know, it's I think some people are really surprised to go through a big loss and then they are suddenly experiencing anxiety, sometimes for the first time ever in their lives. Or if they had anxiety before the loss, it will swell and it will become bigger. And it's always linked to the loss. Again, it's that it's that idea that nothing is quite certain, that we have this reminder of our mortality, and that the emotions of grief are so big and unwieldy. All of those things cause anxiety. It just wasn't being talked about at all in the clinical world anywhere. I had my first panic attack right after my mother died and I was turned away at the doctor in the hospital. They said nothing was wrong with me. And so I went on for a long time thinking that uh, I was just, you know, somebody who had heart palpitations and not connecting it to my own grief until later when I was in school and taking trauma psychology classes that I was starting to see the connections there. And then I started writing about anxiety as a component of grief years ago, and just in articles online. And I started getting flooded with, with clients coming to see me and saying, "Is this real? I haven't read about this anywhere. I haven't seen anything about anxiety and grief together." And and they were experiencing the same thing, you know, having panic attacks or hypochondria or social phobias, all kinds of physical symptoms, and and really not knowing how to kind of unravel the two—the grief and the anxiety. They're linked, but they somehow also have to be worked with a little separately. So working on the grief itself will help alleviate the anxiety. But then sometimes when anxiety has kind of gotten away from us, as I'm sure you understand, there has to be a little cognitive work that we do there where we start to understand how our thoughts work. We understand how to not follow down a rabbit hole of catastrophizing or you know, ruminating on certain thoughts. And those are all things that come after our loss.
1: Mm, absolutely. So can you just briefly define the difference between, you've, 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 you've once again alluded to it, but just, just make the distinction between what is grief, you've said it already, but just re- summarize, and then what is anxiety? And then a couple of techniques, because you said you'd work on them separately. Could you be able, a little bit maybe more specific and give my listeners and viewers some idea of some techniques that, that they could work on for grief and for anxiety?
0: So the grief is, you know, again, the feelings that accompany loss whatever that kind of loss is and all the different kinds of big feelings that come with it. Anxiety is really fear of something real or imagined. So, the way that they're linked is when we go through a loss and we're going through all those big feelings, anxiety starts to come when we start to worry about more loss or we start to worry about ourselves also dying or getting sick or worrying about someone else dying and getting sick. And so that's how they become linked in a very simple way. When we work on them, we have to work on the grief. Initially, when someone comes to see me, who's having a panic attack because somebody recently died. First, I always check in like, what's happening with your grief? How have you grieved? Have you grieved? You know, where are you in your grief process? Sometimes they haven't let themselves grieve at all. So that's some of the first work we need to do. Do you find that's quite a common trend that people suppress their grief
1: when they come to the, what are, what are the signs of that? And, and we'll come back to, the, back to the anxiety. I just wanted to, to to make sure people understand that. So what is what is suppressing grief look like in terms of when they start talking to you and you realize they've suppressed their grief? What does it look like?
0: Often it looks like they've just tried to pick up and go right back to normal after a big loss. They've either tried to get right back to work or just try to get right back to their way their lives were grief changes everything. Grief changes us forever, you know, and it's often very difficult to get right back to work or get right back to whatever your day-to-day life was. There's a lot of feelings that we need to sit through. And so when someone is trying to just pick right up and get back through it without letting themselves feel the anger, the sadness, the guilt, or like letting themselves think about all that's happened, then it starts to bottle up and manifest in anger, frustration, anxiety so that's how I can you know really tell or talk about if someone comes to me and they say I've been you know really missing my dad I've been crying about him often I've been writing writing in my journal about him I've been you know going to my religious or spiritual place to talk through it then I feel like they've been sitting with their grief a little more you know I've been talking about it with friends or talking about him with my family that makes me feel like they've been addressing their grief really allowing space for it but some people you know It's so painful that they don't know how to do that. Either they don't have the right support around them or they're afraid of their grief or they're getting messages that they shouldn't be grieving. Sometimes that happens. We get messages from people in our lives that it's time to move on, you know,
1: Yeah, that's one of the questions I wanted to talk to you about as well. So we must, that's that's a very important thing to hone in on that, how people, because I recently had a friend who lost her husband about three months ago, four months ago, and in a church environment, and they've been very supportive and everything. But I know there's been sort of, oh, well, you're the pastor's wife, you know, you, when you, you know. When are you going to get it together sort of thing? And and she sort of felt like I almost had to tell her, it's okay. You can tell them that you feel but You can't do the stuff. You, you're actually too sad today to do anything. Or mm-hmm. well, you're allowed to cry. You don't have to be all together when people come to your house to grieve with you. you you're you not there to comfort them, you know, because that what was happening. She was, they were literally coming to her and she's such a controlled person. She's a medical doctor too. And it, it would be a situation of where they would come to her and it was like she held it together and they were falling apart, you know, that. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: I think sometimes people are really surprised by how long grief can last. You know, grief can go on for years. Sometimes not always the active grieving where the like the heavy bouts of crying or those kinds of things. But you can be really grieving and miss someone for years, for the first few years, potentially. And then some losses stay with us throughout a lifetime. They affect us for all of our lives. I think that what happens is that in the beginning, everybody shows up, right? When somebody dies, everybody shows up with lots of support and casseroles and books and all the things. And, that, and the, the, the first three months are very busy and you're just, you know, lots of people around and all the things. And then it drops off. And people kind of forget. And then they also kind of expect you to be having moved through it at that point. But what I see is that Real true grief sets in in the three to six month mark. The really hard grief is sometimes three to nine months, three to six months where you may be feeling very depressed or really kind of trying to sort through how much your life has changed or what it's going to look like next. And that's when people are expecting you to move on and be getting better. And so that, that's where you, people get that message that they shouldn't be grieving anymore. And that's when it starts to get you know, more difficult for them.
1: Mm. So that's the stage where you really need your friends and
0: you really need right. your family to just be with you, take you out, distract right. you. There's no fixing, you know, but there's, there's people who can just show up and be like, let's, I'm just here, you know, just to be with them, just to, mm-hmm. and just us, but that, that takes Have I'm thinking of you, you know, mm-hmm. give them a call,
1: that kind of thing. So the three to six month mark is worse almost. I mean, obviously every stage is terrible, but yeah. that's interesting that people kind of feel, cause they've, they've moved on. It didn't right. affect, it's affected them, but not directly. Right. They've moved on. So there's right. the assumption that the person grieving's also moved on. So right. they, these because you, you talk a little bit about how that sometimes people can be made to feel almost
0: guilty or ashamed if they still maybe having breakdowns after six months or feeling Absolutely. like they... Or sometimes someone is very numb in the beginning, you know, so you can be very numb. I didn't cry for the first year after my mother died. It was such an enormous loss at 18. I didn't cry for a year. And then... As I began to move forward in my life, I go back to college, do all these things. The the idea of not having my mom there just completely took the bottom out and I've cried for a year after that, you know, but that's not what we necessarily expect to see, right? We expect to see somebody crying a lot in the beginning, then starting to pick up and move on. But sometimes we're very numb in the beginning or sometimes we don't realize the enormity of the loss and we start to see it more as time goes on. So then the grief gets harder for a period of time. And
1: isn't it also clear a lot about the individual, how the individual's coping, that maybe you needed that in order to just be able to survive? Absolutely. You know, I was just doing a conference recently and someone came up to me and she was wearing a heart monitor and she said her husband had just died about three weeks before that. And she said she had to because she was showing, literally, you know, you, you can die of a broken heart. It's mm-hmm. real. And her heart, she was having such heart problems that they were constantly, you know, watching over her. And mm-hmm. she just, she was just so terrible be sad. I mean, there's a direct link. You, you were going to say something?
0: Oh no, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has a great quote about that. She says that denial is nature's way of only letting in as much as we can handle. And then you get you process as you, I
1: saw that with my patients too, you know, you process as you are ready to process. Mm-hmm. And as you are and I think it's, there's no timeline there's no there's, time and for that sequence thing you know, that you spoke about earlier on, mm-hmm. the whole fluidness of it. Mm-hmm. So that's why we need to be speaking more about that because it's definitely very fixed from, in society, has got this very definite view, haven't they, that You've got to follow these stages and each stage is this amount of time and then it's that, but it's not actually
0: like that, is it? It's so individual, you know, it depends on our personalities, how we generally cope with stress and pain, how we, how, if we're extroverted, introverted, it depends on the relationship we had with the person. What kind of loss was it? Was it a parent? Was it a spouse? Was it a child? And then it depends on the type of death, you know, was it traumatic? Was it a long illness? Was it expected? There are so many components that go into making up an individual person's grief process. And I think we have to be respectful of that for ourselves and others. There's no blueprint. There's no perfect, you know, perfect way to grieve. No, that, okay. That's
1: lovely. There's, I I mean, lovely in terms of what you've just said, in terms of that advice, there's no blueprint. There's Mm -hmm. no perfect way to grieve. We've got to respect that every person is going to cope in their own individual way. And we just have to ride along with that person. Supporting another person is what helps them to get through that. That's the really, that's the very big message that you, that you're giving. Mm -hmm. You probably have heard me say that no diet or exercise routine will work unless you get your mind and mindset right. That's why I love Noom. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom is not a diet. Rather, it is a tool to help you develop the right mindsets around health, fitness, and food. Noom doesn't tell you what to do and what not to do. It teaches you how to look inside your own mind and make better decisions for yourself. Noom also connects you with a personal assigned goal specialist and community of other numers so you'll have all the support you need to empower your change you don't have to change it all in one day small steps make big progress sign up for your trial today at noom.com forward slash dr leaf what do you have to lose visit noom.com forward slash dr leaf to start your trial today that's noom.com forward slash dr leaf the link and details will be in the show notes Just in terms of that's grief of a loss of a loved one. And we've spoken briefly about like the financial security and loss of job and that kind of thing. Would would the same fluidity apply in financial loss? Pretty much any loss. It's very fluid. It's very individual. There's no particular time frame. Obviously, if you lost your job and you get another job, it's going to alleviate a lot of that anxiety and grief.
0: It will some of those are a little different in that when we lose a person, they're never coming back. You know, they're irreplaceable and they're never coming back. We we can replace a marriage, a job, you know, even a pet, but that's still a difficult one for a lot of people. So in some ways we do move through a little bit more of a process with some of those different losses than we do with a person. With a person, that's a loss that can stay with us for our lifetime, you know, in many ways. So with the others it's different because of the fact that you could get a job you can get
1: a job again. So right, it's more of a temporary
0: kind of but it's still fluid. How would you explain The feelings it? can still be different, but I think that they don't last as long and I think that sometimes they you know, you can move a little bit more quickly through them. Okay, what would your advice be with
1: something that's more short term that you, go, you move neighborhoods or you lose a friend or you, so the ones that you, because you'll get other friends or you'll, right. you'll, re, you'll reintegrate in a new environment or, you know, you'll, so that yeah. it, it has a time, almost like a time where you, you've got an opportunity to fix, whereas the lost person's not coming back. So how would you manage that? Those shorter, what, what
0: do we call that? The sort of, the losses that you can get back. Yes. You know, I think we have to be careful. That's that's where we have to be careful with them, though, is because they're easier to dismiss because we can kind of fix them. We can replace some of them, but we also don't want to dismiss the feelings that come. I recently moved across the country and my two older daughters have really grieved our home that we left and our town that we left. And while we can replace new schools and new friends and a new house and all of those things, I don't want to dismiss the feelings they're having of really mourning what they left behind and what they have lost you know those they're very real things so allowing them to have their natural course of of grief you know and the feelings that come with it rather than trying to be like okay let's move on you know we don't want to rush people to move on so we should never say that we should never say let's move
1: on so even if you i'm thinking we moved from south africa to here and my kids were all young and they had to i mean two of our dogs we had to give away and because they were too old to travel and some of the they were little their favorite toys and their best friends and i saw my uh, the the impact was, all of us, on all of
0: us, was absolutely enormous. And that was grieving. It was grieving, absolutely. And as you know, you know, it does heal and time does heal and they do make new friends and all the things, but you still, those feelings are very real and they have to play out, you know? It's true, and they and they do go away, but they still there. Because just the other day we were
1: looking, reminiscing, and looking at our old house and pictures of yeah. just sitting around with all this time that we have together in over dinners have become such a huge thing. They've always been a big thing in our house, but now they even with, mm-hmm. with this COVID, we've really made them a big thing. And we were just looking at some of the photos, and it just you almost feel the seeds of wow, you know that you, you yeah. feel it physically I that there was a lot, that was a whole different life, and it's mm-hmm. never we're never going to have that. You don't want to go there again because you've
0: moved on, but. Right it's definitely a loss that you have to express. I always say that two things can be true at once. You can always miss and love that old life and still love your new life and and build a meaningful one. You don't have to pick one. I think sometimes people get stuck because they think that if they're moving forward in life or if they're having joy again, that that means they're not grieving or they don't miss their person, but both can coexist. You know, you can always miss your person and always miss that thing or that place and still be build a meaningful life and move forward.
1: Okay. What you've just said is brilliant. <laughs> okay. You said so much fantastic stuff, but that is brilliant. That's just freed so many people. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that you don't have to pick. you, So you can... St- acknowledge I really miss that. It doesn't mean you're invalidating or reducing or what is the word? Not enjoying. It doesn't mean that you're taking away from your current new life that you've made. It's just different parts of your story and you right. can love each one equally. So that brings me to the next question is what about someone who has lost a loved one who was in an incredible marriage and they do fall in love again? Because that people have spoken to me about where there's a lot of guilt. If I marry someone, if I fall in love with someone again, it's like I'm dishonoring my first marriage. And you know, my mom went through that. My dad died just around 9-11 and she remarried a few years later. And I know there was tremendous amount of guilt that she went through. Sure. Because she really loved my dad, you know, and so how do you, what advice would you give in a situation
0: like that? It's a big one. I hear about that one a lot. It's the same advice that the two things can be true. It goes right back to the two things can be true. Like it doesn't mean your mother remarrying and falling in love again doesn't erase what she had with your father. She can always love him, think back on that marriage, and you know look fond look look back fondly and hold a beautiful space in her heart for that. And still move forward and have this new meaningful relationship that she is, you know, in love with. So I think that both can be true. I think where people, people really feel like they have to let go of someone and now only have this person. And that's not true at all. Both can exist.
1: You can grow your heart. I remember when I had my second child mm-hmm. and my first child was so, you know, I so you know how you are so in love with your first child. And, and I remember my, my elder sister turning to me and saying, you know, your heart just grows bigger with every child. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just going to love it. It's exactly. not like you have to. And that's true. You, your heart just grows to accommodate. Your right. heart just grows to accommodate. You don't have to pick and choose. That's just, exactly. that is phenomenal. If people can just land that with grief, mm-hmm. it can help so much. So you could have loved, had a great friendship, but you've got to move on and for whatever right. reasons, and you whatever, so it, you can hold both spaces. You can have both, you can hold both. Mm-hmm. and you can honor and, and enjoy both, and not feel
0: guilt. Moving forward in your life does not mean you have to let go of the person that you loved or the people that you loved. You know, it doesn't mean that you're letting go of them because you're moving forward and creating a, a meaningful life again. You can do both. You can you can move forward with the people that you hold in your heart. I love that you
1: can move forward with the people that you hold in your heart. I love that. That's beautiful because it's your story. It's it's your. It's part of your development. You're bringing that into the new relationship too. So if you're loving and honouring that you're Bringing that into the new relationship. I remember listening to someone who'd gone through tremendous grief, and she said one of the worst things that someone had said to her was that you'll get over this in time, time heals. Can you address that? Because I, I agreed with her. I think you you never get over grief, you, you've always exactly. got it in your heart, and time you doesn't heal. You never get over
0: it. You'll never get over it. it. But that's, you know, comes back to what we were saying you never get over the loss of someone that you loved you know, that died ever. And you don't have to, and you shouldn't want to Don't have
1: to, and you shouldn't want to love that, um,
0: but you can still have a meaningful life. That's beautiful and full of, you know, a rich tapestry of all kinds of things. I think sometimes people feel like when they're happy again, or they're moving on, that it means that they're, that they're letting go and we don't ever have to let go or get over it. It's impossible. You know, Mmm, that's so good. There's a tremendous conflict that
1: comes in there when you're moving on and you're happy again, there's guilt. Oh, I couldn't, I'm letting the loved one down. But you can, no, you you can do that. You can have both, both spaces because it's two completely different spaces in time at you and they can be, they can coexist that's amazing that is really really fantastic just to transition on back to your book you really got me thinking there I I love what you just said getting back to your book I want to ask you here what tools and techniques can you offer my listeners on how to prevent anxiety from hijacking their lives after a loss because anxiety can seriously hijack as we all as we know and I see that in my brain the clinical trials we just done you know it's ironical that we are irony that we are actually analysing in the midst of this COVID crisis I didn't know my analysis would be now and one of the things you were looking at was the impact of anxiety in the brain in terms of high beta and, and just in an unconscious mind and story and that kind of thing. And you know, some and people are so good, and you know, this at cognitively suppressing, so on a conscious level, they. They just keep going, thinking that they've got it under control. But the brain and the unconscious mind are saying a totally different story. And eventually it's cumulative. So you might think you can suppress, but at some point it's going to explode. And that's such an explosion in a multitude of ways. So what tools and techniques can people use to, to
0: get not to let
1: anxiety hijack?
0: well anxiety hijacks when you know we wake up in the morning and we start just having these anxious thoughts you know what if i die what if i get sick what if i lose someone else i love or i can't go out because i'm vulnerable or i'm afraid to see people right now or i'm in too much of an emotional state and so what the best tools and techniques for anxiety are mindfulness and meditation and i know that some people will Find meditation off-putting, whether that's because it sounds, you know, challenging, or because it sounds woo-woo, or whatever it is. Meditation is an amazing tool for calming our thoughts and for also understanding how our brains work, how our thoughts work. You know, we wake up in the morning and it's like a ticker tape screen across our head. You know, all of a sudden we're thinking about what we have to get at the grocery store that day. We're thinking about what's in the news. We're thinking about a bill we have to pay, and we're not really thinking about all these thoughts, you know, they're just coming and going and we're reacting to them and they're following, we're following them down a rabbit hole. When we learn more about meditation and mindfulness, we can learn how to see those thoughts and not necessarily respond to them, react to them, follow them. And that's a really important technique. It's the thing that will set you free from anxiety.
1: Mm, Really does definitely help. Fantastic. What can you give us uh, in terms of COVID-19, we now transitioning and it's just like, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there's just the more epidemiologists I talk to, and doctors I talk to, and scientists I talk to, the the more, and the more we see in the media, we just don't know But you can't be. Mm-hmm. Well, we know. I don't have to say what everyone knows. There's the economical cri- economy that's in crisis. There's this financial. I mean, this this threat of the virus. So, but we're transitioning. So, mm-hmm. regardless of the uncertainty, we're transitioning. So, can you give us some guidelines for doing this?
0: I think we have to go back to these things where we limit our news intake, we really try to limit and decrease our anxiety because there's so much that we don't know and as humans we're really inquisitive and you know smart creatures and so when there's a lack of information or uncertainty we tend to kind of want to fill it. So we'll fill it with all kinds of things that are either end up feeling threatening to us or aren't actually real or you know we try to project all kinds of ideas and Projections into things. But so, really, just taking time to step back, find peaceful practices, you know, find meditation, find mindfulness, find ritual, turn inward. I think it's an amazing time. Everyone's talking about this opportunity to be productive right now because we're at home or whatnot. I think what would be really interesting is if we use this time to be spiritually productive, you know? Thank you for saying Mm -hmm. that. It's a chance for us to tune in and think again. Yeah. Go inward rather than like working on our abs or our bread baking skills. You know, what's, what's your inner life? What's happening there? Because that is going to see you through this. How spiritually fit are you, you know, rather than physically fit our spirituality and, and our understandings of, of how we work as a human beings is really going to see us through all of the uncertainty and who knows what's to come.
1: We have to get that. We have to de- deal with that deep spiritual 99% of who we are. Absolutely. Just wrapping this up, how are you coping during this crisis? You know, what struggles are you, what are some of the struggles that you're going through?
0: I'm going through the usual struggles. I've got three kids in the house, a husband and, you know, personally. homeschooling, schooling, <laughs> keeping them entertained. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot. Personally, I've never been busier work-wise as someone who's been in the grief space. I've been really heartened to see that so many people in the grief world have come together. I've never collaborated more. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. There's a a coalition, a consortium of us that are meeting twice a week on Zoom, and there's about 80 of us in the grief world. And we are creating platforms, creating virtual programs and spaces just to meet the demand that is coming for grief support.
1: That's amazing. Wow, that's absolutely fantastic. Well, thanks for doing that. That's amazing. Well, how can people find out about you and how can they get your
0: book? My books are available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, whatnot. And then my website is clairebidwellsmith.com. I have grief meditations. I have grief courses. I have lots of things you can find on the website.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, we'll put that information in the show notes. And thank Thank you for your wisdom and your time and the work that you do so necessary. And thank you for just, you know, making grief normalizing it and helping us to just not try and run from it but actually you know step into it and process through it and accept that this is a part of life that's very important so thank you for your message thank you for holding space for all the people out
0: there who need to hear this kind of stuff
1: absolutely it's so important thank you so much and have a wonderful day and keep safe thank you too I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful if you want more tips